everybody. Hey there, everybody. Hope you're all having a great day today. It's nice and cool outside. Right? Yeah, it is. It wasn't even going to get to 80 today, right? So, it's so nice. And chance Scott, of rain tonight, tomorrow rain. Pretty, pretty yes. high chance tomorrow, I think, of rain. So, which we can always use. We can always use the rain. <laughs> and yeah, higher chance, I think, even on Wednesday. But really? Okay. Scott was so good. He got up early this morning. He went out and walked two miles with his trusty little ear bobs in. He listens to so many books that way. And um, it's I'm listening to Orphan X number six right now, I think. Wow. It's in the Orphan X Orphan series, X. yes. I like the thrillers with the action-oriented. You've got some guy who's got incredible skills, yes. you know, and Orphan X was an assassin, but now he's turned himself <laughs> over to a life of good. And he's sort of like, the, I read the first Orphan X book, and I realized, hey, this guy's like Batman. That's what this guy is. He's Batman. <laughs> and so, yeah, there we go. So, and I saw that The Gray Man, which is another series um, starring Ryan Gosling, is coming out on Netflix in July. Yeah, and Chris, is it Chris, Chris Pine? Chris Pine. And I saw that Netflix spent $220 million on this movie, which seems utterly Crazy. insane to me. Crazy. Insane. Cra Crazy. Insane. So, I don't know. People just have money. Oh my. As you As can my. tell, Scott's like pleasure reading is completely different from his work. Um, there's this other other whole chain of books and stuff that he loves that is uh, the actor or the person who is the, the hero is Jack Reacher. Yeah. And they made a kind of pathetic one or two movies with um, my favorite little Tom Cruise, but he just didn't fit the guy. Yeah. But now they came out with a series and was it on, on Netflix? Am it was on Amazon. On, on Amazon Prime. Yeah. It is really good. The guy looks like Reacher's supposed to be like 6'5", 250 pounds of solid muscle. Yeah, and he's a good guy. I mean, he's a good guy. Yeah, see, what he's he wants is... He's a patriot. He wants to make wa things right. He wants justice to be done. He does. Yeah, he so wants it's justice kind of to be done. So, and ladies, anyway. I have to tell you, yeah. he is pretty easy on the eyes. <laughs> there we go. We have the our own reasons for why we watch any of these things, right, dear? We do. Yeah. But it's, it's all fun. And so today, you know, so we're going to talk about today. What's that? An ancient writing from, you know, two and a half millennia ago. Wow. Far removed from Jack Reacher or The Gray Man or Netflix, wow. right? Yes, we are. Yeah, we are. We are. Isn't that something? Yes. And you're going to hear the ring of relevance today. Yes. Because people are people. Yes. 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, today, 1,000 years from now, people are still people. So. I, you know, it's so weird. As I, I've mentioned it a few times to you guys who are out there with us that um, there's so many parts... I don't know the Bible anywhere near what Scott knows the Bible, but I've sat in a lot of classes over the last 20 plus years. And um, it's just so often how some of the most famous phrases we know from the New Testament came from Isaiah. And I noticed that this morning because I started, I told you, listening to Matthew and it was like, that sounded like Isaiah. And I clicked on it. Sure enough, it was Isaiah. Sure enough. Yeah, so it's, yeah. this is all really very, very relevant to the New Testament. It's crazy how it works and that way. And thus relevant to us today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. Well, 
I guess we've bantered for a while. I guess it's time for you to pray. I think pray I'll do us that. In. Pray us in. As oh, and we guess say. what? We forgot to tell them next Monday. Oh, yes. Next Monday, no class. We are not going to meet on Memorial Day. I'm just taking the day off on Memorial Day. You should do. And we will reconvene the next Monday. Pick up where we are going to leave it today, wherever far we get. So no class on Memorial Day. And um, anyway. So everybody can enjoy their family stuff, too, and yeah, not miss and just, anything. Yeah. yeah. All righty, kid. But they'll miss, they're going to miss you. You, you realize oh, because yeah, we're not definitely. having class. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, positively. I, I can see the tears falling out there right now. <laughs> oh, no, Patty. No, Patty next Monday. So, we're crazy. Okay, I'm praying. Here we go. He's praying. I'm praying. Gracious Lord, we are so grateful to be gathered here. We do love this fellowship. And even though we, we can't really be together in the same room and I can't hear people... Um, we're 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 doing the best we can, and it and it's and it's great. And um, I'm grateful for my my partner here, Patty, who helps me with this, and for everybody who's joining us today to come together and just take some time out of the week to talk about this this ancient scroll of Isaiah, and and see that indeed God's word, your word, um, is as relevant today as it was twenty five hundred years ago. All this we pray in the great and glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All righty. I'm going to move my little stool, give you some room. There you go. Okay. So let's see. So let me get that little camera set up just a wee bit better. All right. So. Oh, Yvonne says she just finished our five Jack Reacher on audiobooks yesterday. Okay, Whoa, good. Okay. <laughs> good for her. She knows what I'm talking about then, that Jack Reacher guy. Um so let's see. All right. Here's again, here's here's my struggle with Isaiah. My struggle with Isaiah is keeping myself on some sort of roadmap. Because I, I think it's just easy to get lost in in sort of page after page of this Hebrew poetry, prophecy. This is kind of how prophetic books are written. They're written in a, in a poetic form. Um, and it, it, it's, just, it's just tricky. So I rely on certain, you know, scholars and commentaries to help, to help just be a guide, like and a guide we might get for any, any place we went, down a river or in a museum. And um, so I want to do a little, just a little bit of, of introductory stuff to get us in the same place. So let me switch over to the slides. Aha, Isaiah. So this is the painting I've been using a bit to illustrate the, that we are in second Isaiah now, written during the Babylonian exile. And um, this is the painting of the, of the exiles fleeing, being forced out of Jerusalem and marched to Babylon, figuratively a thousand miles away and maybe close to a thousand miles away. And we've seen in recent weeks that few things happened, right? God sends the word. This is a letter from a letter that got, that Jeremiah writes to the um, exiles in Babylon telling them that God does have a plan and he has for them um, and <coughs> they are to make homes, have get married, have children, build homes, help the community that they're, they're living in, 
uh, because it's going to be it's going to be a long a long time. It's going to be a long time. It will end up being from the time that the that the walls of Jerusalem fall at the end of the siege um, that began twenty years early. Well, the real war with Nebuchadnezzar, I guess I'd call it. I'm struggling for words, but um, it was about fifty years, seventy years all in all, because the first exiles are sent to Babylonia, sort of like um, what, like. Uh, Maybe hostages, that's the word that comes to mind, 20 years before, like Daniel. So so God sends, okay, sends some word that says, okay, well, make your new life, right? I have a plan, there's there's a purpose to this. And, but still, and this is a painting, um, uh, kind of a famous one of the Jews weeping along the rivers in Babylon. And I used a similar one when we looked at Psalm 137 right? Of course, they've been uprooted. Their lives have been destroyed. Many of many Jews have been killed. These have been, been marched all the way to Babylon, and it's just loss, 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 um, which set the stage, which sets the stage for Isaiah 40, which is where um, we've now scooted forward to the captivity and a prophet comes forward bringing God's word that the captivity is going to come to an end. Now, the degree to which it does is something we could talk about because you could certainly build a case that it doesn't really end until Jesus' time, and that's why he is so reliant on the book of Isaiah. But certainly in Isaiah 40, the prophet comes forward speaking of sins being forgiven and of someone in who will cry out in the wilderness, make straight the paths, um, for this is God's way. And those words are used, as we saw a few weeks ago, to talk about John the Baptist. So where we, after that um, wonderful chapter 40, that's so pivotal, this word of hope and it's time and you know, where things are going to change, we come to chapters 41 and 42. And we did chapter 41 last week and got a few verses into 42. But I want to go back to them because 41 and 42 are in the form of a trial, right? So as I just want to step through this, look at A, B, C, and D on the slide. Just get us in the right place here. God has announced their rescue, in essence, and now he, in the beginning of chapter 41, he lays out the first steps toward rescuing the people. And then God proceeds to dispel their fears. And they have a bunch of fears, right? Um, God speaks to the foreign gods. They don't exist, obviously, but still... Um, God speaks to these non-existent foreign gods about their worthlessness because they don't exist. Most people in the world think that they do, but they don't. And then God talks about God's abilities to make things happen, to see what is coming. Um, and uh, then we come to Isaiah 42, where we meet this servant, okay? And so we're going to pick up, we, we got a few verses to the 42 last week, but it's it's important. We're going to go back to it. Uh, what Last week I did take a minute and show you that it, you, it's used by Matthew 
in chapter 12, at this, as this slide shows, the introduction of this servant. Um, and uh, I think as we make our way through this, it will be pretty, it's pretty clear what God is doing in chapter 42. Um, it's a little, always a little tricky to see whether it's the prophet speaking, whether it's the prophet's words or, or God's words, but, you know, 42 is pretty straightforward, I think. So, with that said, we're going to go to chapter 42. Any questions from anybody out there nope, in the no internet questions. world? Nope. We're good. No. Okay. So... I'm on my reading glasses here. All right. So, we heard it last week. We're going to hear it again this week. Verse, chapter 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands, the nations, the lands of the world, in essence, will put their hope. So the question is, who is this servant? And we're about to see when we get to verse 8 that clearly in the school of Isaiah here, the servant is Israel. I mean, that, that, that assumes that that's who is in view. But Matthew takes this passage at the beginning of chapter 42 and uses it to, in reference to Jesus. As I would, as I suspect when you, we just read through this, you... You hear Jesus, you see Jesus in, in this, this servant who is going to establish uh, justice and whose God's spirit is upon and so forth. So what gives? What gives with that? So let's talk about it. How could Israel, the kingdom, the nation, the family of Abraham that we're talking about here, 500, more than 500 years before Jesus be the same as Jesus. If you've been in my classes for a while, and some of you have, you know that I often describe Jesus as being a new Israel. That that's what he is, that, that's a key way to understand what Jesus is doing, that he is forming a new Israel with himself at the center. And that is why he has around himself how many immediate disciples? Twelve. And you find in the New Testament a number of places where those disciples are even called the Twelve, typically with a capital T. There is an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. There are many more disciples, but there are the Twelve. And interestingly, if you went through the Gospels to make a list of who the 12 are, you would have a little difficulty because it's not on the fringes of the 12. There's, I don't think the Gospels fully agree, but it doesn't matter because what matters is not even the name so much as the 12. Why the 12? 
because there were 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus is, is becoming this, he's putting himself forward as a new Israel. The Israel who will do and be for the failing Israel what they won't do for themselves, right? And in that, he is going to be their representative Messiah. He is going to take the sins of Israel upon himself, and hence the sins of the world, because this was all about the larger world, which we will see in these past upcoming passages in Isaiah. So Jesus is Israel. And you can make a connection between Israel, the kingdom that's in view, or Israel, the people that um, is in view in chapter 42 during the Babylonian captivity, and this one faithful Jew who will keep the law of Moses every day and in every way. That's, that's who Jesus is. And so, so that's a way to make this connection. So what, what's fascinating is that for the Jews, as the rabbis got closer and closer to the time of Jesus, they began to substitute the word Messiah for servant in chapter 42. Because um, as you get closer to Jesus, fewer and fewer Jews could read Hebrew. So what would happen is there would be a rabbi or a scribe who would get up, take the Hebrew and translate it into Aramaic for people, orally, on the fly, offering commentary maybe, uh, clarification, that kind of thing. The same way kind of preachers do sometimes today, we, even though they're just preaching from English to English. And it was always supposed to be just an oral thing, but of course people began to write it down. And so there became this Aramaic sort of translation, sort of, of the Old Testament scrolls, with the exception of a few. And that's, it's called the Targum, T-A-R-G-U-M. The Targum is this Aramaic translation of, of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scrolls. And as you come to Jesus' day, the servant becomes more and more, and as they're reading it, they're, they're using the word Messiah. Why? Because as you come to Jesus' day, the, the expectations grow and grow and grow that God is finally going to, to raise a Messiah who will rescue his people. And so it's not surprising then that, in, that, that they see in Isaiah this servant less and less being Israel, the larger people, and more and more being this Messiah, this, this figure of, of one. And of course, that is Jesus. Now, they don't accept it as Jesus because, if I, as I've explained a great many times, nowhere this is their expectation of a crucified Messiah. That is not in the playbook. If a guy got himself, a Messiah got himself crucified, it only meant he was never a Messiah to start with. So, um, 
So, because we're going to run into this servant a lot. We're going to run into the servant here. We're going to run into the suffering servant um, a few chapters later in Isaiah. Um, and it's, you can hear in it both a call to Israel, the people, and you can see in it this bright billboard to the one who is coming, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. So, okay, so Patty, any questions about all of that? No, that was, a, that was great, explaining that. Okay, so now go back. We'll go back to verse 5 in Isaiah 42. This is what God, Yahweh, says. Always pay attention, the way we're doing this, to where God's name is used. Because it makes this personal. You see? God is not just some distant, transcendent being. Um, it's one of the big differences between Christianity and Islam, even Judaism and Islam, because in Islam, God is called Allah, right? It's not, that's not a name. That is, that is the Arabic word for God. So there is a Hebrew word simply for God. It's E-L-L. -L. But throughout the he Hebrew scriptures, you find the name of God, the name of God given to Moses at the burning bush, which is which begins to unlock this intense personal relationship. And I say personal, I realize that's very trendy. The, the, this this personal relationship between God and Moses and then between God and his people. Where, where even in the Old Testament, it gets very, very intense and very close and the metaphors of husband and wife and lovers and all this stuff used to talk about God and his people. They're just, they're just, they're wonderful and wild all at the same time. Okay, so. And Scott, in yeah. all of this, anytime we see um, in our Bibles the printing, the Lord, all in small letters, but all capital, L-O-R-D, that's always Yahweh? Always Yahweh. Okay. That, 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 it's called small caps. And under if we were reading this in Hebrew, we would have arrived here in verse 5 to God's name, which I pronounce Yahweh. There's other, we really don't know how they said it. Um, and, but it's, and, and for the Jews, it became so sacred that they quit, that they wouldn't read it even. They wouldn't pronounce God's name. And so they just simply said Adonai in Hebrew. And Adonai in Hebrew means Lord. And so in English translations, the tradition is to not put in print the name of God there. It's called the here, there's a fancy word for it. The Tetragrammaton is the name of God. Wow. So, yeah, Tetragrammaton. So, so we, we don't, but I think it is one of the keys to unlocking the Old Testament for people is to realize that God's name is used throughout and names are personal. They are more personal in their world than ours because in our world, most names are simply labels. In their world, giving your name to someone is a little akin to our giving a social security number to someone. 
they know you they have some power over, over you it's 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 there's meaning in the moment when you give your name to somebody in in the biblical world so and that's what god does with moses so verse 5 this is what god el god yahweh says the creator of the heavens who stretches them out who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it all of that's a prelude to what god says and so now you notice how we have little quotation marks at least i do you should yes. we're all working from the niv right. i think or most of us are oh i just saw that sharon kerr is here listening she is at home that is awesome oh that's great. Yeah, hey, Sharon, Sharon Kerr is at home. Her surgery went great. Bob said said they were very pleased with the results. She doesn't have anything she has to follow up with. It's all just a, it's all just wonderful. So anyway, we love you, Sharon. That's great. And Bob, we love you too. Got some rest. <laughs> so verse six. This is God. I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness. God does what's right. God does what's right. God is what's right. I have called you, in, and his people should, should walk in righteousness. We should walk every day in the doing of what is right. Um, we just find it so hard. You pro I'll probably talk about this more today and tomorrow. And Yesterday, the Southern Baptist Convention released this extensive report on sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention and Southern Baptist churches and it and the cover-ups around it. And it's staggering. Just staggering. So sad. Just staggering. And you might ask me, well, how could that be? I'll tell you how it could be. It could be because people stop listening to God instead of start... They stop listening to God, stop seeking God, and instead they want to hang on to their power and their position and their prestige and their money and to protect the institution rather than the people um, who make up the institution. It's, in essence, the same, from my perspective, the same problems that the Roman Catholics fell into. It's just shocking to see it on such a large, large scale and so disappointing, you know. I, I knew something was up when I found out a couple of months ago, a few months back, that Beth Moore, who you probably have heard of, the Bible, um, prolific, Bible. prolific Bible teacher, teacher, that she was leaving the Southern Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist churches. And um, so anyway, so, so don't think that issues we're going to read about in Isaiah here are, are simply left, you know, in time a few millennia ago. We live with them now because there's a darkness in the human heart. It's an anthropological question, <laughs> as they called it <laughs> for Lauren at seminary. You know, it's an anthropological question. Who are we as people? One of the things we have to admit is that there's a darkness that resides in the human heart. And God is going to talk about it here. And the report yesterday was about it as well. And it's, it's sad, but true. So God says, I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. 
There you go, a light for the Gentiles. The, the mission was always clear in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's always there that this was not just about them. They might be the chosen people, but they were chosen for a purpose. They're the ones to whom God was going to work, is working, to bring God's reconciliation to the whole world. A light for the Gentiles. You know, the Jews would forget it. If you read Paul in Romans, he takes his fellow Jews to task, says, you've forgotten that the Gentiles were always the point of this. Always the point. Don't begrudge the fact that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. You don't have a soul, a solitary soul claim on God. It's always been about everyone. So God says, I will keep you, Israel, his people. I will keep you. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dun dungeon those who sit in darkness. And who are the ones who sit in darkness? Who are, who's sitting in the figurative dungeon? It is those who don't know God. It is those who don't know Christ. This, this darkness light motif is again such a dramatic and common theme across the Bible. Gospel of John, 1 Peter, it's just everywhere that you are in the darkness until you come into the light. And what is that light? It isn't the light of self-actualization or self-realization or self-anything that you hear about all of the time in our world today. The light is the light of Christ, the light of God. Um, and that's, that's why God went to, called on Abraham. That's why all of this has happened. Think of everything that's happened in the Old Testament, from the calling of Abraham. We're now forward how far? Eh, 1,300, 1,500 years to the time of the Babylonian captivity. And what's it been about? A light for the Gentiles. What did God tell Abraham? Genesis 12, 3. Mark it down, big letters, circle it. That all of the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's family. And the name of that family is Israel after, the, after Jacob, who was given that name by God because it means wrestles with God. And Jacob appears to have done that in Genesis, I don't know, 28, something like that. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is still our mission. You realize that, right? This is like a restatement of what Jesus tells his, his disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. Go baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them. Teach them to obey. Teach them about me. Go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Isaiah 6 and 7. That's us still. Then in verse 8, God says, I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Why won't God do that? Because God loves us. 
and it's terrible for us. It destroys our souls. We are made to live in relationship with God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God fully revealed in Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, no one else, nowhere else. And when we try to, whether it's ourselves or a political party or, you know, material things or uh, <clears throat> philosophy of some kind, it's soul-destroying. It's soul-destroying. I was actually reading some of what their own Catholic bishops are talking right now about the sacraments, because you probably know the bishop in San Francisco has said that he would deny Nancy Pelosi the sacraments, and she has a home also up in Napa, and the bishop, that bishop up there said he would deny her the sacraments. Why? Because this is about her soul, they said. Do you know somebody overruled that today? No, well, that's... The person who was over that? Um, well, anyway, I'm very... just saying, they are all they all talk about it because they they see that, that what we're talking about is the essence of who we are as people. The essence of who we are as people. And... Um, I am, verse 8, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Our God is a God of newness, not a God of oldness. Our God is a God of newness, newness, newness. New things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And then the prophet breaks into you know, a song of praise, a prayer of praise. Sing to Yahweh a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands, you, you nations, and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to Yahweh and proclaim his praise in the nations, in the islands. That's what that word is about. Yahweh will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. He's going to fight for what is right. He's going to fight for these Israelites. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. And he does have enemies. There are a lot of enemies of God in our world. And you don't have to look to Satan for that. There are a lot of enemies of God in our world today. Verse 14. Notice the quotation marks. I've discovered those are little handy little clues in the NIV. I don't even know if they're in all translations, but they're here. So this is God. For a long time I've kept silent. I have been quiet and I've held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I'll turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Who is the them? 
the people in captivity, the Israelites, the ones through whom God is saving the world. That's the key, the ones through whom God is saving the world. And that project will reach its culmination in one particular Jew whose name is Jesus. There you go, <laughs> Miss Patty. But, you know, those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Now, we do not live in a world in which people are generally carving out statues and wooden figures of, of different idols, at least here in the West, you know, there are But everybody worships something. Everybody worships someone. And if it isn't the one true God revealed in Christ, who was resurrected, right? Yes. Then it's an idol. It's an idol. John Calvin said, we are idol factories. We create them so very easily, so very quickly. Um, so in this long passage, what are we getting? We're getting we're getting this story of God's determination to rescue his people. And now God goes on, hear you deaf, look you blind and see. Now who are the deaf and who are the blind? Does he mean physically deaf and physically blind? No, I don't think so. No, he means those who don't hear God, those who don't see what God is doing. That's what he means. It's like in the song Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. And then verse 19, who's blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send. So God is straightforward with his people. You people have been blind. You've been deaf. You haven't seen. You haven't heard. And the world's fallen in on you. Um, the older I get, the more I appreciate directness. Somebody told me the other day, that Miss Rachel at church is, she can be very direct. Awesome. That's great. I like directness. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question completely out of left field. Okay, I love left field. Okay, this is left field. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the this is the number one. The Ten Commandments. This is the big one. This is number one. Take no other gods before me. Right. Number two, don't make any idols or graven right. images. At this point in time with Isaiah, do they still have the tablets? I know for a long period of time they're lost and then they're found again where there was no law. Remember when they actually lost the Yes, is, King Israel Josiah, they're working the temple. They're doing a building project in yes. the temple and, and discover the books of the law. Yes. Yeah. So at this point in time, because I'm really sorry that yes. there's so many timelines. Yes. At this point in time, would they have rediscovered? The they did, okay. but now they're lost. Because you see, 
King Josiah finds them, yes. but that's only about round numbers. 30 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple and the loss of the Ark of the Covenant and everything. Oh, okay. So, so whatever, exactly whatever they found in Josiah, that's, it's, it's all gone. at least the original tablets okay. are gone. Now, what, you know, they have scrolls, obviously, that would survive because there were scrolls and, and they've taken those into Babylon with them um, and writings of various kinds. But, but yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Verse 19, Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of Yahweh? You've seen many things. Sigh. <laughs> but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you don't listen. And then the prophet speaks. It pleased Yahweh for the sake of his righteousness to make his law, his teachings, great and glorious. Of course they are. Because the law of Moses is a statement about how to live with the creator of the cosmos. How are they to live in relationship with the God who made them? The law of Moses provides that answer. Verse 22, but this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say, send them back. Which of you will listen to this or pay, pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunders? Was it not Yahweh against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his way. They did not obey his law. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it too hard. Why has the world fallen in on them? You know that's the abiding question of the day. How could this happen? We're God's people. We're Abraham, the family of Abraham. Moses brought us God's law. How could the world have fallen in? How could we have lost Jerusalem and lost the temple and lost the Ark of the Covenant? How could we be in captivity a thousand miles from home? Because we, because... In verse 24, they would not follow his ways. Yes. They did not obey his law. And then God says in verse 25, and even in that, gosh, they don't understand. Gosh, they didn't take it to heart. You know, when you read this, you understand how much love God has for them, for us, for the world, because the only solution to this is for God to do it himself. Because the Israelites had been about this for centuries. Right? I mean, 
Think about it. The law of Moses given at least seven, eight hundred years before. King David lived five hundred years before. And here's where they are. It's where it's all been brought to. The loss of everything. The death of Jerusalem. Is there any real reason to expect that even though God, God's already spoken some earlier in, in, about raising up someone who would get that, begin to get them back to Jerusalem, Cyrus, but is it really going to be any different? No, it's really not going to be any different. There's a darkness in the human heart that we can't eradicate, necessitating that God do for us what we are unwilling to do for ourselves. And it's true of them. It's true of us. We don't need uh, a better teacher. We don't need a better example. We don't need any kind of self-help book. We don't need any of that. What we need is a savior. We need a rescuer who will come in like, like a fireman on a ladder and rescue us off the floor of some smoke-filled burning and carry us out, passed out, and doomed we are. That's what we need. It's what they need. And so this story that we're reading about here in this struggle between how God wants them to live, how they are living, their blindness, their deafness when it comes to God, that is going to come to its fruition in Jesus. And there, will they really hear? Will they really see? Most will not. Most will not. It. The only reason, you know, the only hope any of us really have is by God's grace. God's desires. So that is chapter 42. Okay? So, you know, so gosh, that's all kind of depressing, isn't it? <laughs> he enveloped them in flames that they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. So that is depressing, and it is what remember that that little bit they did on Saturday Night Live at one time? Debbie Downer? Yes. You remember Debbie Downer? Yes. That was pretty funny. Got old pretty quick, but you know, it was pretty funny. So then in the way of the prophets, you're taken from these words of darkness and honestly discouragement um, and you're brought to words of hope because let's just let's just read into it look, look at the end of 42 and we'll see how this works because the, the chapter division is artificial right it's not really there in the scroll if you saw a scroll of Isaiah you wouldn't find any chapter divisions so you'd re you need to read right on in to the next verse so 25, in chapter 42, 25. 
So God poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war, and enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. But now, this is what Yahweh says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, synonyms in this way, quote from God, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. They might be blind. They might be deaf. They might be faithless. But God says, I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now these are metaphors, right? Nobody should go, you know, honestly, in the history of Christianity, I'm sure that there are people who looked at a verse like this and decided that what they needed to do was walk across burning coals or something because God promised them they wouldn't be burned. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am Yahweh your God. Yeah. For I am Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel. Remember that we, when we began, we said this phrase, the Holy One of Israel, is very common in the scroll of Isaiah. It's just a very, very common way to speak of God, the Holy One of Israel. Your, what word? Savior. Your rescuer. <laughs> sort of like saying, I know you're a mess. <laughs> I know you're a mess. You're a mess. You're a mess. You're a disappointing mess. You drive me crazy. But I love you, and I am your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I, what? I love you. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. That, you see, those kind of verses, I think, make people trip up sometimes. But these Israelites must survive. God is going to carry them on God's back. Why must they survive? Because they are the ones through whom God is rescuing humanity. That's, that's the path God has chosen in God's wisdom. And woe be me if I think I would know a better way than God. This is, this is how God is doing this. I think for me, the message is God could have chosen anybody and have the same problems. But he has to keep, you know, even if Israel only becomes one faithful Jew named Jesus, this faithful remnant of one, if, that, if Jesus is all that there is, <laughs> that's sufficient. That's sufficient.
Verse 5, don't be afraid, God says, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, his people. Don't hold on my people to the south. Don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. These are his people. These people chosen for a purpose. Revealed to Abraham at the first encounter with God. Much larger than Abraham, much larger than Moses, much larger than David. It is about the whole earth and all the peoples that live in it. That's who this is about. But just just hear the I just I just love the per look back at verse five. Don't be afraid. I am with you. It's just very I think it's very very intense and personal. You know, Patty and I were joking around at the beginning about these books I read, these kind of thriller action books when I walk as a plot keeps me going, you know, for the next day. But in a moment, today when I was listening to it, in a moment today there was a young teenage girl who had had a very, very tough, very, very lonely life, and she was telling a story about seeing a grandfather holding his granddaughter and doing saying only to his granddaughter, I love you and you're safe. I love you and you're safe. And the 16-year-old couldn't imagine that for real. Nobody had done that with her. To simply sit and hold her and say, I love you, you're safe. I love you, you're safe. But here is God telling the Israelites exactly that. Verse 8. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? What's the answer to that question? None. None. Because there is no other gods. Exactly. They're figments of people's feverish spiritual imagination. Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen. Right? So that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will, be, nor will there be one after me. It's just constantly reminding you and me that these writings come from a world in which everybody's head was filled with all sorts of gods and goddesses. The Jews were singularly strange in their belief that there was only one God. And in fact, I'm sure many of them got that wrong. I'm sure many of them still thought they only had the best God on the block, not that there was actually only one God. You know, monotheism would was not, them coming to be monotheistic isn't like turning on a light bulb. It would come, come over time. By the time you get to Jesus' day, they are radically monotheistic in this pagan 
world filled with pantheons of gods and goddesses. But that it would all that takes time. Verse 11. I, even I, am Yahweh. And apart from me there is no Savior. Boom. Wow. How's that for a... What if, we, what if, what if people talk about some... That... That's that's a big time verse, isn't it, Patty? Yes, it is. Apart from me, there is no savior. Apart from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is revealed fully in Jesus, who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is progressively revealed to us in the course of Scripture from the beginning of the the Bible the biblical books toward the end. Apart from God, there is no Savior. We are still doomed, doomed, doomed. And that's a hard word for people in our time to hear. There's so many people that think they just don't need God. Or they just don't. We'll figure it out. We'll get our way through this. And they're left saying, well, what's wrong with us? And I always want to grab the TV and say, well, a lot. <laughs> Let's start with the fact that you don't even, you're not smart enough to realize you need a savior, a rescuer. You think you can do this all yourself. You can't. But you see, here we go. Verse 11, 2,500 years ago, apart from me, there is no savior. I have revealed, I have saved, I have proclaimed, I, and not some I'm going to insert some words here. Not some ridiculous, non-existent, foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. No one can take anything out of my hand. This is, when I act... Who can reverse it? Nobody can. You know, God, in this passage, there's lots of rhetorical questions. And the answer is always like, no one. Who's going to show up to be witnesses against God? For, nobody. <laughs> right? No. There is one God. That God is Yahweh. And um, this is what Yahweh says, verse 14. You're a redeemer the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am Yahweh, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what Yahweh says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, this is the story of the Exodus, by the way. The army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And you could almost put like a nonetheless here. Nonetheless, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. 
Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? Don't you see what I'm doing? I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm making dreams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me. The jackals honor me. The owls honor me because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself that they may proclaim my praise. The whole world is God's. This is of a piece with several parts of the New Testament where the trees, the rocks, they join in in the praise of Jesus. Jesus is, is called task by the Pharisees and the priests and says, who, who say to him, well, why don't you put a stop to all this trouble with these disciples and everything of yours? And he says, even if I did that, the rocks would sing my, you know, would, would, would ring out. Because all of creation is being redeemed. In Romans 8, Romans 8? Yeah, yeah, Romans 8. Paul writes, all creation groans awaiting its own redemption. That somehow creation got wrapped up in the human rebellion against God. But you see a little bit in the creation story when the consequences of the human rebellion against God are going to be things like difficult to grow, lots of briars and thistles. All of that is a way to speak of the fact that creation is wrapped up in this story of redemption. And so here we have even these animals, um, these wild animals, even these dangerous animals, they are part of God's creation and their very existence sings God's praises. And then he says, basically, the animals... <laughs> okay, so he in essence is saying, well, the animals get it. Verse 22, yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings. You have not honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings or wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought any fragrant columnists for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. God doesn't really care about the sacrifices. That's the scroll of, uh, scroll of Micah. Famously in Micah, Micah 6. But they're not doing the sacrifices. What are they burdening God with? Their sins. Wow. And wearying me with your offenses. It's just like, what is it like? I don't know. I've been a parent of three boys. There were times they just wearied me. Especially, I'm all name names. <laughs> but you know how teenagers can be. They can just kind of kind of wear you down sometime. You just get, oh man. <laughs> so, in this case, God's children have just burdened him with their sins, wearied God with their offenses. It's just, it's just so real, right? It's so... 
God, God has two hands out toward us, wanting to reach us and talk to us in ways that make sense to us. Because that's the only way we could we could communicate with God or talk with God or praise God or pray to God is if God comes down to us like I remember this Leighton Farrell at at St. Andrew was really good at this and he was a fit guy um, even in his later years and he would see children coming up and the next moment he is right down there on one knee to get down right down there with him and he would spring back up after I can't do that anymore but he would spring back up and it's just always great to see because he was I always used to think of that image sometimes with God you know that sure God is God we're not I can't I'm never going to get there but yeah God could God could get here and of course he does born to a young woman named Mary So God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. <laughs> Look at the next phrase, for my own sake. Because you're driving me crazy. Because you're driving me <laughs> <laughs> And remembers your sins no more. I love that, for my own sake. Right? That's just, that's just awesome. That is awesome. That's pretty funny, actually. It actually, it's just, it, it's, but it's so real. Yes, it is. It's just so real. It just reminds me of Hosea chapter 2 when God says, okay, okay, I'm going to take my people out to the wilderness and we're just going to start over. And I'm going to romance her all over again. Like two young lovers. Like two young lovers. Forget the past, we're going to start over. Verse 26. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. See, they're not going to be able to make one. Your first father sinned. Who was that? Adam. Sure. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. Who's that? Kings, prophets. You know, the, when, when, sometimes when I use the word prophets, it's easy to think that the only prophets there were were the particular prophets in the books that we meet. But there were hundreds and hundreds of prophets. He just means all of those I sent to, to bring you back to me. All this, those who were supposed to be good shepherds turned out to be bad shepherds is another way um, that this is done in Scripture. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. Right, the priests who led you away from me is what God is saying. I consigned Jacob to, to destruction and Israel to scorn. Remember, this is Hebrew poetry, so you're rhyming ideas. Jacob and Israel are synonyms. I consigned Israel to destruction and Jacob to scorn. It could have been written exactly that way. It's Hebrew poetry. The, the two lines are usually, the second line's a restatement of the first in a little bit different way. Sometimes it's an opposite of the first, which, but more often than not, it's a restatement of the first line. So, 
that, my friends, is chapter 44. So when we come together in two weeks, right, because we're not meeting next Monday, we will come, we will do chapter 44. And in chapter 44, this is a teaser, is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I just get such a big charge of, out of it. I can picture it. It just, it just, it just, I don't know. The word I want to say is it just cracks me up. It's just, it's so real and it's coming from a world so far removed from the world that I live in, but hardly removed at all. How about that? So, but we're going to do that in two weeks because next Monday's Memorial Day and we will not meet then. So, any final questions anybody wants to type into their little machine? Anything like that? I'll be looking at it while Patty's coming around. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Patty's making her way over here. I'm going to swing the camera around so it will pick up Patty. And It's and, not and, really that far of a walk. <laughs> <laughs> She's just... coming. She's getting her exercise for the day. No, I just have to move my so, little stool over here. Yeah, you do. I make you work for it. He huh? does. He yeah. does. When we first started this, he would have the little stool in place for me. He would move it out. That lasted about... Do you know why Three I stopped weeks. doing that? Why? Because I found that I kept tripping over it. Oh, When gosh. I would have to get up and down, and I figured one day I'd do a face plant, and you That's would not, not be happy about that either. I wouldn't either. be happy at all. <laughs> I wouldn't be happy at all. So, um, <laughs> Sharon, we're so glad that you're doing so well. Um, we just are going to be praying for quick healing for you, and um, truly, it, it sounds like things couldn't have come out any better. So that's so it a does. wonderful, yes, wonderful absolutely. thing. And um, you guys are just so faithful, Bob and Sharon both. And um, we're happy for you too, Bob, because we know that you were a basket case. Sorry, but we know how much you love Sharon. And that's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good so thing. Let's, let's close in prayer, please. Lord, we just thank you for this wonderfully cool day in late May. And we are going to thank you, God, in advance for the rain that we're expecting this week, which we could all use very, very much. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. We thank you, Lord, for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, today for our country, and we pray, God, for this world. There are so many things right now that just seem kind of crazy and out of control, Lord. And we know that our nation in this world needs to put their face towards you. Because there really aren't any answers. There aren't any easy answers otherwise, Lord, at all. And um, we just pray, God, for the leaders of our country right now. And again, for world leaders, for cool heads, um, for loving hearts. We pray for this group, Lord. We pray that you would continue, God, to hold us together. We've been together now over two years, virtually, and we are so grateful, Lord, for this time that we get to come together to study your word in a very, very safe place. And um, Lord, we just lift up all these prayers to you today. We pray them all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. We hope to see some of you tomorrow in person, 12 o'clock, down in Piro Hall. If you've never come, it's, it's fun. fun, and it's <laughs> truly, you could come anytime. And if you can't, we'll be online, yeah. and 
We'll be back in Isaiah two weeks from today. It's roundtables. A lot of people bring food. Other people wait till 1.15 or so when the class is over to go out and eat. But you are always welcome. You could come when you can come. Don't feel like if you know there's a couple weeks here or there over the summer, you're not going to be able to come. You can come anytime. It's not like we go through, you know, a whole book in a week. It's usually... We're still in chapter one of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> so you can go back and read it on your I own. I think we've and... done 24 verses in the you're... first three weeks. Yes. But yes. the first week we only got one verse. So anyway, please feel free to join us anytime. We'd love to have you there. Or online, of course. I'm, I'm yeah, always, always there online in class always. too. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Have a great night. Adios. Bye. Bye-bye.